Father, this song is a true profession of our lips and yet also aspirational. We do find this morning that our hearts are filled with thankfulness for him who bore our pain. And yet, Lord, we find that it is still aspirational, for we, we long for our hearts to be filled even more with thankfulness, because we've not yet plumbed the depths of uh, the beauty of the gospel. So be with us in this time, even in these moments, and fill our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I said at the uh, opening of the service that in some senses money has replaced Sex is our, our culture's greatest taboo, that thing that you don't talk about. And so the old joke goes, you know, how do you get a Presbyterian to change the topic of conversation to his sex life? You ask him about his finances. Uh, is it strange that we're talking about this? Well, in one sense, yeah, of course. I mean, church can be strange, okay? In another sense, it's very natural to us and very normal to us. Why? Because believers in Jesus Christ know and believers in Jesus Christ believe that the gospel has implications for every area of our lives. That there isn't a single thing we could think about in the heavens or on the earth that we would say, nah, the gospel doesn't really apply to that. The gospel applies to everything that we are. It applies to our private lives as well as to our public lives, to those things we consider personal and to those things we would consider professional. The gospel changes everything. And so it's normal for us to talk about finances as it's normal for us to show up on a Sunday and be talking about anything, I guess. Here at MPC, we have this interesting sort of dual approach to money. On the one hand, we take money and finances very seriously. We take money and finances very seriously. And yet, on the other hand, we're very laid back about them. Let me try and explain this dual approach. First hand, uh, we take money very seriously. Four words to unpack what I mean by that. First of all, when it comes to money, we're very focused. If you look at the insert we had in the bulletin this morning and see on one side of that sheet all the ministries that are going on in the life of our church. We see some 60 active ministries. We see our Sunday morning flock growing. We see extending mercy locally and globally. We see churches that we're supporting. We see guiding the next generation of believers. We see this vision that the Lord has given us to have this glimpse of heaven on earth. And we want to be very focused with our financial resources to make sure that they all align with that vision. That every cent we get here is used in order to extend that kingdom work. And so we want to be very intense about that. Focused when it comes to money. Taking it seriously. Second word would be judicious. We also want to be wise or, or slow or thoughtful in terms of how we steward our resources. So, for example, as a church, we're not necessarily opposed to go, uh, taking on some debt if we think it will have a kingdom return. But when we do that, we're then very aggressive about paying that debt off. And so, as you know, our uh, mortgage fund is actually going to be paid off this summer, a couple of years ahead of schedule, thanks to the generosity of this block. 
Um, along with, with that, we are also careful to have three months operating expenses in the bank in case anything should happen. We want to make sure that our church isn't uh, sort of caught short. We also have a maintenance reserve fund because this great facility with all that it entails also entails air conditioning units that break down and we've projected out the cost of this facility to make sure that we have the money for these kind of repairs. We want to be judicious in the resources the Lord has given us. We take them seriously. A third word to show how we take money seriously would be uh, the word transparent. As a congregation, we want to be transparent with the way we use the resources God has given us. Uh, I counted it up and, you know, about, about 100 people are involved in the construction of our budget. Uh, it's not like there's one or two guys off in a smoke-filled room who come back and say, this, this is it, right? Um, with our staff, with our elders, with our deacons, with our board of women, with our lay leaders, there's about a hundred-some people who are involved in the construction of this budget. Uh, we invite feedback from the congregation at large. We present the budget to you at our annual meeting. We want to be transparent so that everybody knows how the money we receive is being used. We take money seriously. Fourth word would be the word uh, accountable. We want to make sure that that transparent budget is then, is then kept to. And so we have internal safeguards and external audits and various other things to make sure that we are, in fact, stewarding God's resources in a way that is in accordance with his will for us as a flock. On one hand, we take money very seriously. But on the other hand, we're very laid back about it. What do I mean by this? I mean, it's important for you to know as your pastor, the issue, the issue isn't money. The, the issue is what the money reveals about our hearts. Money is a, a diagnostic tool that tells us something about the condition of our souls. Jesus knew this. This is why he talked about money a lot. I read one estimate this week that says about 20% of Jesus' teachings have direct uh, a relation to money and stewardship. 20%. Imagine we spent two months every year preaching on generosity. We don't do that. We do have a practice of doing it once a year, and you've happened to show up on that Sunday, so I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but there's, Jesus talked a lot about money, and essentially he was a man who was never wealthy. So why did he do this? He did this because he understood that there's an inseparable connection between your faith and your finances. That the two of these things go together. That the one tells you a lot about the other. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You could reverse it. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And that's why we want to talk about this. That's why we want to preach on this this morning. We're not aiming for a guilt-induced spike in offerings. I really want you to know that. Especially, (laughs) if you are new with us, and especially perhaps if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian this morning, I want you to know, I, we, are really glad you're here, and not because we want your money. In fact, if you're here and wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian this morning, I would actually ask you not to give, not to give to the church until you have received the free grace of Jesus that's offered to you at the cross and offered to you here in this place. It's not about trying to get inside your wall. If you would describe yourself as a Christian this morning, then again, the goal isn't a guilt-induced spike in offerings. The goal is to apply the grace of the gospel to our hearts. Because as surely as Paul wrote to, the Macedo- uh, wrote to the Corinthians and commended the Macedonians, said, the Macedonian churches, they're known for their generosity. I would want him to write about the McLean churches and say, oh, 
That church, they, they are known for their generosity. How will that take place? If we can develop a culture of generosity here that uh, stands upon four principles. Four principles from our text that we want to see as part of our, our culture of generosity here at McLean. Principle one comes to us uh, here in um, verse 9 of chapter 8 and also from verse 7 of chapter 9 where we see uh, that we should give how cheerfully. As a people saved by Jesus Christ, we should be giving cheerfully. Look with me at verse 9. We read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that opening. I love that the start to that verse. This Jesus, this Jesus who... Um, offers you forgiveness, life, eternity, and all things. This Jesus, this grace, he says, you know it. You know this grace, and you know this Jesus. This isn't a principle to you. This isn't an abstraction to you. This isn't a theory to you. This is a person and a reality that you know. Well, what do you know about this Jesus? That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Don't you love that? Jesus is up, enthroned in the majesty and splendor of heaven, and he's doing just fine. Apart from one thing, he's separate from his people, because his people have separated themselves from him. And so he, the generous God, goes on this rescue mission, leaving those riches, leaving that wealth to come to experience the poverty of earth. Why? Verse continues, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus leaves glory, leaves wealth, leaves splendor to experience poverty so that we might leave poverty to experience his glory, his splendor, his wealth. The great exchange of the gospel where he comes to us as the generous God and freely gives us all things. And so in light of that, we get verse 7 of chapter 9, which puts it so succinctly. Each one must give as he has made up his mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It's like Robert was saying earlier. There needs to be a difference between your generosity and, and how you pay your taxes. Those two things can't be... You know, the week is coming and... Many of you will have knocked out your taxes already. If not, you'll be scurrying this week, getting online or going into the office, and you'll go in. And what are you going to do? You're going to find out uh, how you can pay as little tax as possible. And I'm all about that, okay? Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but don't give him more than that. You know, like, um, you know, have at it, go for your life. There ain't nothing wrong with that. But that would be a very strange way, would it not, to approach generosity or to approach giving a gift? You can just imagine, say, it's my wife's birthday, and I say, honey, I've got you a gift, and it matches our budget for gift giving. So, happy birthday, right? <laughs> You're like, that's weird, <laughs> you know? That's weird. It, that's not the spirit I expected to be given a gift in, right? And, and this, you, see the, you see the difference, okay? We pay our taxes, and we ought to. A little bit under compulsion, Okay? Uh, we give gifts cheerfully, gladly, generously, with a smile on our face. And that's how our, our generosity ought to be. We ought to give to the Lord, give to the work of His church, give to those who are in need, give to kingdom work with this cheerful, glad, happy spirit. And I just want to challenge us this morning. You know, how, uh, allow this to be diagnostic of your soul. 
What does your generosity tell you about uh, the, the gospel happiness of your soul? Does your generosity, do your spending patterns, do your giving patterns reveal someone who is actively living out of, moving out of, being motivated by the grace of Jesus? If someone looked at your bank account, would they think, man, that's a strange spending happens. This person must have something I don't know about. And the answer would be yes. And his name is Jesus. The gospel compels us not because we're under compulsion, but because it compels us to be cheerful. <laughs> and cheerful people give. The very foundation of the culture of generosity we want here in McLean begins with being cheerful. Give cheerfully. Second principle we see in our text is that we should also give proportionally. Yes, cheerfully, but also proportionally. And we see this in verse 12 of chapter 8. You see it there with me? For if the readiness is there the readiness to give, it is acceptable according to what a person has. Not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance, implication being at a different time, may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Each of us should give, verse 12, according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. What does this mean? It's very simple. If you've been given a lot, you should give a lot. And if you've been given a little, you should give a little. Generosity isn't a number. There's not a certain dollar amount that equals generosity. It's a disposition of the heart in response to what the Lord has given us. And so, yes, if he's blessed you with great resources, you should enjoy them because you did not earn them. They're a gift from him. And you're going to have to fight every day of your life to actually believe that. And yet, if he's blessed you with a little, you should give a little, and you should feel absolutely no guilt, and you should feel absolutely no shame. There are times and seasons in life, whether it's just generally having a low income, whether it's underemployment or unemployment or health concerns, all sorts of things mean you might not be able to give as, as you would like. But you shouldn't have that as a burden around your neck. Why? Because we're to give proportionally, in accordance with what we have, not in accordance with what you don't have. Someone might say, well, how does this idea that you should give proportionally uh, connect with the fact that everything you have is God's? How do we start connect these two ideas, that you should give a portion of what the Lord has given you, with the idea that he really owns all of it? Ginny read to us that verse from, from Chronicles, which makes that, that very clear. And we would say, uh, uh, really, that giving God a proportion of your income doesn't deny that the rest of it belongs to him. It proves that the rest of it belongs to him. Let me give you an illustration I heard one preacher give one time. It's kind of like, imagine my wife comes to me and she says, uh, James, you've not been given the time, uh, you've not been giving our family enough time. You've not been spending enough, enough quality time with us. And, and I kind of fly off the handle and say, what do you mean I don't give this family enough time? Like, all my time is for this family. This is why I get up in the morning. This is why I go to work, provide for all of you guys. Like, everything I do is connected to this family. How can you say I don't give this family enough time? Right? That's going to sound really hollow and shallow if I'm not also devote, devoting a special portion of my time to them. If I... If, 
if we're not going on date night, if we're not taking the kids to ice cream, it's going to be very hard for them to believe that the rest of my time is really for them as well. Yet, if a special portion of my time has been devoted and given to them and to them alone, it's going to be easy for them to believe that the rest of my time is devoted to them. You see how giving a proportion doesn't disprove that the rest belongs to God. It proves that the rest belongs to God. God, all of this is yours, and as a symbol of that, and as a sign to that, and of you know, a sort of testimony of my faith and trust in you, I'm glad to give this portion of it away. And I would want to, yeah, I'd want to challenge us. I'd want to step on my own toes and step on our toes. Someone after one of the service said, you're, as a preacher, you're kind of like an equal opportunity offender. You know, just defend everyone here, right? So we'll, we'll all leave unhappy. It's great. Um, but there are certain biblical truths that we are going to have to wrestle with to, to a greater degree because of the time and culture that we live in. And I think this is one of those. Because you know, there has never been a nation in the history of the world, or even in the world today, that's as rich as we are. If we're being commanded to give proportionally, we're being commanded to give more than any people have in the history of the world. Across time and across space, we are the 1%. And so we ought to wrestle with this idea of, of proportionality. We ought to be challenged by it, confronted with it, to really consider what does it mean for us as a people to give in accordance with how much we have been given. At this point, the notion of the tithe sometimes comes up, and I'm not going to deal with that in depth today. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about that one, that one next year. Uh, the principle I would say, though, is that I think it's a good starting point for us in our culture. As the richest culture that, that has ever lived, I think the tithe is a good place for us to start. Uh, one of our elders, whose name may or may not be Hugh Welchel, um, <laughs> he likes to say a little obnoxiously, but in a way that's, uh, I think, really accurate and I kind of love. Um, you know, in the New Testament, we're not under law. We're not under the tithe. We don't give by the tithe, we give by the Spirit. <laughs> We keep in step with the Spirit, and we give in accordance with the Spirit. However, if tax time comes and you do your taxes, and it doesn't equal at least 10%, you ain't been listening to the Spirit. <laughs> and there's, there's something to that. There's something to that. We, the richest people in history, should be challenged by this idea of proportionality and what that means for us as a people. We give cheerfully. We give proportionally. Third principle we see that we want to be part of our gospel culture is that along with these, we also give sacrificially. Sacrificially. It takes this idea of proportionality and and develops it a step further. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the law? No. About the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Philippi was one of the churches of Macedonia where Paul writes his letter to the Philippians. So these churches, what did they do? Verse 2. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Isn't that a weird verse? Like, just think about it, that's weird. It's saying, okay, they were really afflicted and they were really poor so they were really generous. It's not how we would typically think of think of it. Help us understand. Well, verse 3, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and, see it there, beyond their means, 
of their own free will. They gave according to their means, proportionally, and they gave beyond their means, sacrificially. And now Paul holds up these churches, these churches in Macedonia, and he says, they're a great example to you. They're a group of people who... uh, wrestled with the gospel and wrestled with grace and it changed their hearts and they were cheerful and they were proportional but then they were sacrificial in their giving and these guys that's who you want to be like that's a good model he says for you another good model comes to us from church history in the person of john wesley remember his story he was a 18th century preacher in england and in, 19, in 1731, sorry, he decided that he was going to try and limit his expenses in order that he could give more money away. And in this first year, in 1731, he earned 30 pounds. And he found that he could live on 28 pounds, and so he gave two pounds away. The next year, his income doubled to some 60 pounds, and he found that he could still live on 28 pounds, and so he gave 32 pounds away. As he became more of a prominent figure and his fame spread, the following year he earned 90 pounds, a good year-on-year increase. And though he found he could still live on 28 pounds, and so he gave the rest away. By the end of his life, it's estimated that he earned about 1,400 pounds a year, and yet his expenses rarely rose beyond that 28-pound level. So generous was he that the government got suspicious. And they wrote to him basically to say, you know, how can a man with so much money not own more silver? And he obviously owns more silver than he's telling us about. And we want to tax that silver. So he's obviously lying to us about how much silver he owns so he doesn't have to pay this tax. And so they write to him and they said, hey, listen, man, you tell us how much silver you really have because it's clear you're lying to us. That's not a direct quote, by the way, of exactly what Lars said. Um, And uh, he wrote back and he replied and he said, I have two spoons in London and two in Bristol. This part is a quote. That is all the plate I have at present, and I shall not buy more so long as so many want bread. Isn't that great? By the time he died, he was 87 years old. The only money that was found was a couple of coins in his pockets and a couple of coins on his dresser. Right before he died, he wrote, I cannot help but leave my books behind when the Lord calls me hence, but in every other respect, my hands will be my own executors. Isn't that great? I don't need someone to execute my will when I'm gone, to disperse my wealth once I'm dead. Why? Because my own hands are going to disperse it all while I'm living. Now listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, We should all do that. Have a set number that you can live on and and give the rest away. I'm also not saying that's a bad idea. That's something to think about. That's something to chew on. That'd be an interesting way to think about our income. What I am saying, what what I'm definitely saying, is we should be giving sacrificially in accordance with what we have, but beyond what we have. Another way to think about this is there should be a difference between you and you if you weren't a Christian. So I'm not asking you to compare yourself to anyone else, okay? That just, it ends in pride or it ends in insecurity. Completely unhelpful, okay? Compare yourself to you. If you didn't know Jesus, how would your financial stewardship be different? Because what I want to suggest is that your life should be simpler than if you weren't a Christian. 
that there should be things in life that, yeah, you'd be glad to do, would love to do, would even enjoy doing that you can't do just now because the resources that would enable you to do that have been given away to those in need. And so whether that's the home you live in or the car you drive or the amount of clothes you own or whatever it may be, the fact is that your life should be simpler than if you weren't a Christian. We should be giving sacrificially. Fourth principle, final principle we see in our text, that we want to be a part of the culture of generosity here at McLean. Give cheerfully, proportionally, sacrificially. And then lastly, give diligently. Look with me at verse 10. A year ago, you started not only to do this work, this work of generosity, but also to desire to do it. So he's saying, you've started to give and you've started to to want to give. Verse 11. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, you've started and you want to do this, and that's great. But now finish what you started. Follow through on this plan. Don't just leave it as a nice idea, as a, a thing you, you wanted to do. And it, it's funny in this area, because you know everybody wants to think of themselves as a generous person. You know? And yet very few people actually are generous people. Never has the sort of desire united so many and been fulfilled in so few. And so Paul says, don't just talk about generosity, don't just desire generosity, but but follow through and be generous. If you look at the sheet that was in the bulletin again this morning, on the reverse side you see a snapshot of, of giving here at MPC. See on the far right hand side about 7.5% of our congregation who give more than $15,000 a year. Then on the left hand side some 52% of our congregation who give less than $2,000 a year. Look at that table. Chew on that table. Two quick caveats. First of all, if giving less than $2,000 a year represents cheerful, proportional, sacrificial, diligent giving, you should feel no shame. You should feel no shame. A glorious pattern that seems to be present in the Christian life is that those who give little are often very, those who have little are often very generous. Generosity isn't a number. The widow's might, God will do amazing things uh, with the heart of generosity that he's given. Feel no shame. Secondly, if, if that for you doesn't represent cheerful, proportional, sacrificial, given, uh, diligent giving, you should also feel no shame. Okay? Why? Because that, that's not how this thing called gospel works. You cannot give cheerfully and out of shame at the same time. That's, that's not what this is about. That's not what I'm trying to say here. What, what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say, um, right, five, five frogs in a log, four, to, four decide to jump off. How many are on the log? Five. Because once you decide to jump off, you've got to jump off. Right? And for many of us, we're not as generous as we ought to be. And we're not as generous even as we'd like to be. Not because you're like terrible, horrible, sinful, scum of the earth people. But because we haven't been diligent. We haven't followed through to make good on that desire that the Lord gave us. 
Because there's this funny reality, right? It's just a, a reality of economics that your expenses always expand to meet or exceed your income. You know, no, nobody has any money, okay? Uh, why? Because, as the rapper said, more money, more problems, right? <laughs> just brought shame to the historic NPC pulpit. Um, <laughs> right, you know, nobody just is, is flush with cash. If you, if, you, if you live your life and just wait to be generous with what you've got left over at the end, you, that doesn't work like that. Okay, that, that doesn't work. You have to be planned. You have to be thoughtful. You have to be diligent in your giving so that you can follow through and, as Paul commends the Macedonians for, excel at this grace of giving. <clears throat> excel at this grace of giving. Five questions to help you wrestle to be more diligent in your giving. But first of all, I wonder this morning, um, are you pleased with your giving levels? Are you pleased with how generous you are? And you know, friends, listen, <laughs> You know the answer to that can be yes. That's okay. Don't always feel discontent in your relationship with the Lord. If he's done a work in your heart and you're a cheerful, proportional, sacrificial, diligent gatherer, praise the Lord, right? You know, you've probably got something else to worry about, okay? Um, Don't feel like this middle-upper-class guilt whenever giving comes up, okay? Maybe you are. That's great. If you're not, again, don't just feel guilty. Think about that. What's the Lord saying to you in that? Is he calling you to reassess how much you give? Is he calling you to move up a scale in, in your giving to the church? Maybe he is. Number two, if you have this desire but you want to be diligent, let me ask you, have you budgeted your giving? There should be a line in your Excel spreadsheet for generosity. There should be a section in there that is planned, set aside, prioritized uh, to be given away. Number three, do you have a plan for how you're actually going to give? This is why we list that you can give to the church by cash, check, credit card, automatic transfer, all the rest. You need a plan. Okay? You don't just need a line in your spreadsheet. You need, you need a plan for how you're actually going to then move out and give. Number four, to be diligent in generosity, have you thought through your future giving goals? Have you thought through your future giving goals? What do I mean by that? I mean, sometimes... It, it's hard just to snap your fingers and, and be where you want to be in terms of your generosity. Maybe some responsibilities you've taken on that you shouldn't have taken on, but now that you have, you've got to see those through. So think through, okay, how do I get to where I need to be? Perhaps I give a percentage point more this year and a percentage point more the next year, a percentage point more the year after that. How, how, what, what are my future giving goals? Five, and a little awkwardly, do you have any um, accountability when it comes to your finances? Do you have anyone in your life that you're transparent about your finances with? Um, and, you know, as always, your spouse or someone that you pay, they don't count, okay? Uh, someone in your, in your life who provides that loving accountability to you as to how you're stewarding your resources. Do you have anyone that you would show your tax return to? I'm not saying it's like new law, we should all have that. I'm saying that would be a helpful thing. Helpful thing for us all to be accountable when it comes to our finances. Let me close um, with a story. Uh, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a great statement. It's actually one of those statements, you know, that's never recorded in the Gospels. It's never recorded in one of his sermons. You know, Jesus isn't preaching and then says that. He's, He's quoted as having said that later in the Scriptures. But it's more blessed to give 
than to receive. This was really driven home for me a couple of weeks ago because I was thinking about my wee boys and I was thinking, I want to do something just to kind of connect with them. I want to do something to have a good time with them and just build my relationship with them and enjoy them and have them enjoy me. I, just, I want to you know, do something to have some hangout time with my boys. And so I thought, okay, well, what do, I, what do I want to do? Well, what I need to do is get interested in something that they're interested in. Parenting tip, okay? You know, you know, don't expect your kids to be interested in things you're interested in. Right? You have to be interested in the things that they're interested in. And so what are my boys interested in? Legos, okay? They are like... Lego fiends. They just love Legos. And, you know, no matter what time I wake up on a Saturday morning, I hear the sound of Legos being made in the boys' room. They just absolutely love Legos. So then I made a very foolish mistake. Okay? We're sitting at the breakfast table. I just didn't think this through. I said, hey, boys, it would be really awesome for us to build some cool Lego thing together. So why don't you pick any Lego set you want, and I'll get it. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> because those jokers took me at my word, right? And they, got, they, they went straight to the Google and uh, found a whole ton of sets. And I actually got off lucky, because like, there was a Death Star that was like $600, okay? And uh, they ended up selecting this really awesome pirate ship. It's like two feet long, a couple of feet high, and it's just like really great. And, but it, it cost two hundred dollars, okay? And I was like, "What? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Lego two hundred? But you know, this is funny. Parenting tip number two: you got to follow through on what you said, okay? So off I go. And you know the feeling? <laughs> you know when you have a smile on your soul and a frown on your face, right? That's me at the Lego store, um, handing over, and then. We get this Lego set and we come home. We decide over the next little while we're going to spend one night a week together building this awesome pirate ship. And we're having all sorts of fun. And the conversations while you build Lego are great, you know, because they're kind of like, hey, do you have the two by four brown bit? I need five of them. You know, pass them over. So it's not like, it's not kind of like, hey, you know, how's your soul? You know, that's like, <laughs> that's not what you talk about when you're doing Legos. This parenting tip number three, okay? So, You've got to have those conversations in order to have the way to your conversations. Okay? It's, just the way, it's just the way life goes. And you enjoy your kids, too. So you're having, we're having a good time building this Lego set. And here's the question. How bummed am I to spend $200 on that? Not at all. Why? Because I've found it's so much more blessed to give than to receive. And I promise you, I can promise you this because it's, uh, it's Jesus promising you, <laughs> that if you wrestle with this area of generosity, and if you give cheerfully, proportionally, sacrificially, diligently, you will find that you are more blessed to have given than if you'd received. Nobody on their deathbed ever regretted being generous. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you um, invade every area of our lives because you do so to bring a sweet, freeing presence, a sweet, redeeming presence. Were there corners that were off limits, there would be corners that were unhappy. And so we're glad to open up our lives, even uh, open up our spreadsheets before you and wrestle with how that the gospel calls us to live. And Father, I pray that you would make us a generous people, that as 
Paul spoke of the Macedonians, so he would speak of those churches in McLean, that we would be known for being generous because uh, we've, we've experienced the grace of Jesus. These things we pray in his perfect and matchless name. Amen.